The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Hey, everybody. Today we're debating whether or not Christianity is true, and we are starting right now with perspective philosophy's opening statement thanks so much for being with us perspective the floor is all yours hello there thank you for having me on and uh, thank you to matt for being willing to uh, have this debate it's a great opportunity and i'm very happy to talk to you matt so thank you again okay so my opening statement and my argument as a whole is going to be based on whether christianity is true but in order to give a full account of whether Christianity is true and reasons for that, I think that we need to first understand why we would choose, let's say, one position over the other, why we would choose Christianity over something like agnosticism or atheism. Myself have been, I myself have been an agnostic and understand the doubts that people go through engaging in this kind of theistic thinking. So I really want to make this very perfectly clear. We are engaging in a philosophical position which looks towards the epistemic justifications of or either or position. Okay, so for my position, I believe that it is important to stress the epistemological advantage that Christianity brings to the table. So the reason I am engaging, well, the reason I am arguing for Christianity is because of the importance of grounding. For those of you who are not familiar with grounding, grounding is essentially finding the rational root of an argumentative, uh, of an argumentative inference or a uh, a, log a way of logical thinking. It is essentially the grounds of any form of argumentation or epistemology as a whole. So you would see this as, for example, if you were to reason back in terms of physics, you would reason back to first principles, first physical principles, and we usually count these as things like the laws of physics. If you go past the laws of physics or beneath the laws of physics, you'll find things like nomological laws, and the laws of logic, the fact that certain things must be identical with themselves, for example, that something to be itself has to be identical with itself, or that something cannot be itself and its negation. These are the kind of laws which structure our thinking at its bedrock, and they're something that we cannot deny. <clears throat> and when I say we cannot deny, I don't mean that simply as it is beneficial to accept these logical structures, but rather it is an indubitable structure, that to doubt it, you will have to invoke the structure itself and then engage in the active uh, uh, affirmation of the thing you are trying to negate. That is essentially what I'm going to argue happens if you engage in an argument against the existence of God. Now, so the argument that I'm using is essentially a form of a cosmological argument that was put forward by Leibniz. Leibniz was a philosopher in the 17th century, and he came up with what is called the principle of sufficient reason. The principle of sufficient reason is an argument which, which premises that there are two kinds of beings. There are necessary beings and there are contingent beings. Necessary beings are indutable, like the laws of logic, as I've talked about, or necessary principles are that are indutable. Contingent beings have a cause or a reason, more specifically, a reason for their existence. In order to give an account for their existence, you have to be able to say why it exists. For example, 
something like the laws of logic are indutable, or perhaps the number five being the number five might be indutable, or perhaps something mathematically like uh, you know a squared plus b squared equals c squared. That seems to be at, at its root an a priori and arguably an indutable proposition. However, me wearing this shirt today, or that the sky is blue right now, it's not raining. Uh, whether the the you know like there is uh, somebody outside your door, they are contingent. They are contingent upon and uh, on whether it actually is the case or not. We don't have to say that they are true unless we can either prove they are true or like, through empirical or rational argumentation, but really empirical argumentation with those examples. So there are two kinds of principles there. Now, every single contingent being, which means like pretty much everything that you see around us today, whether it's yourself and what you are doing or your uh, the, the world being the way it is, whether it's raining outside, whatever it is, that is a contingent thing. It's something that is changeable and something that will necessarily change. And you can only give an account for it if you go through a causal chain. In that causal chain, you will give a, re a reference to a prior reason. That prior reason contains the justification for the uh, the well, the antecedent gives a justification for the consequence that you are experiencing. So, if it's raining outside, you could reason that there are clouds in the sky that have, have that are essentially made of water vapor, and that is what has led to this rainfall. In the case of God, I'm going to argue that all contingent beings engage in a causal chain that will necessarily lead back to what has to be a necessary first cause. The reason it has to be a necessary first cause is to affirm the existence of rational argumentation itself. Reason, in order to flow, requires that there is a necessary link from <clears throat> antecedent to consequence. This is essentially a um, this is essentially logical inference itself. So any attempt to deny this would deny logical inference, and so would deny the very capacity you would need in order to again, try to deny it. So it's impossible. So at the very bedrock, we have to see that there is a necessary first cause. Now that necessary first cause has to be something which itself is not caused. It has to contain its own causal actualization. It has to be, in other words, unactualized. So there, at the bedrock has to be a principle which simply exists. Okay. Now a denial of this can be through what's called a, um, you could deny this through a, uh, what's called an infinite regress, in which you say that there isn't a first cause, but an infinite regress of causes. Unfortunately, this has the same, same effect, in which an infinite regress of causes means that there is actually no single cause at the very bedrock, uh, at the very beginning, which means that there was no actual first cause or first principle to the argument or to the mode of thinking. And so it actually undermines reason just the same. So you can't, you can't do that either. So you're going to have to affirm that there is something at the beginning of rational argumentation, which makes rational argumentation possible, especially in terms of analyzing the way in which we think um, and understand the world. So if you're trying to gain knowledge of something, there has to be this fundamental first principle. Now, in this fundamental first principle, people will argue that, and I've seen Matt do it personally, uh, that this does, not has to ha this does not have to be God. And that's fair enough. I think I think Matt actually takes the position that there is no way to essentially ground 
anything and he just assumes it, which I think is absurd, but we could get onto that later. But other people may say that it could be something like a quantum field or the universe itself or existence itself. And this is fundamentally uh, ill-equipped to provide us the means of rational argumentation. Because although it gives us a first cause that is considered a brute fact, something that Bertrand Russell would mention, it does not give us the basis of how rational argumentation functions, which is not simply to have a first cause, but to also have a last cause, a telos, an end. It has to be a rational link between what is a first principle and a last principle, a consequent. And that relationship itself must be one which is undeniable, in which you say, for example, two plus two equals four. It's not that the relationship is simply applied through a through an accidental set of circumstances, but that relationship between those, ob I don't want to call them objects, so that gives too, maybe too much to numbers and we could go, go too far with that, but those entities is something that if we were to combine them, it will necessarily produce the consequent, which is four. So the relationship between two plus two, major premise, let's say like a major premise in an argument, a minor premise in an argument, and a conclusion in an argument is something which must necessarily follow. And so the consequent is something which is, um, is something which is the end of rational thinking. Now, what moves rational thinking, I think is also a very important aspect of this. Rational thinking isn't something that necessarily, or, re or reason itself, isn't something that is um, unmoving. And the Christian conception of God isn't something that is necessarily just unmoving. It is self-actualizing. It is willing. It is a relationship of activity which moves rational argumentation. And this is an argument that's essentially given by Hegel and in arguably Thomas Aquinas, in which case we would say that the relationship between three specific uh, logical moments is what we mean by the Christian God. Universality, particularity, and um, individuality. The universality is the bedrock first principle, something's allness, for example. A particularity is its concrete existence, and the unity of these two is its individuality. And through that, we can essentially give uh, an indication of anything that exists through three primary syllogisms. And this is really important because if we say that this is essentially the bedrock of existence and we were to affirm, and I think this is very important, and we were to affirm that this logical structure exists objectively, which I think Matt will deny, and I think that will be the main point of contention, that this logical structure exists objectively, then this, then the, the being, which is the universality, particularity, and therefore individuality of existence itself, is necessarily God, because God is the most perfect, we could say the most perfect conceivable being, that which combines in the, way, in, the, in the way that Thomas Aquinas describes him as essence with existence, that which perfectly understands itself and is absolute. That can only be something which contains all logical moments combined. Now in Christianity, this is known as the Trinity, the unity of the Father and the Son in spirit. And that unity is essentially what I'm going to argue is the fundamental basis of all rational argumentation. Now, I don't know how much time I have ten left. Seconds so I don't left. Ten seconds. So I'm going to end that there and I'll try to elaborate uh, as we go along. But thank you. 
Thank you very much for that opening perspective. And if it's your first time here, folks, at Modern Day Debate, I'm your host, James. want to say we hope you feel welcome, no matter what walk of life you are from, Christian, atheist, Muslim, you name it. We are glad that you are here. And if you haven't yet, hit that subscribe button. We have many more debates coming up. You don't want to miss them. We're going to kick it over to Matt for his opening as well. Thanks for being with us, Matt. The floor is all yours. Oh, and I'm going to start with a cough. Sorry. That's the way the timing goes. So you sit here nice and quiet, and then all of a sudden you get a cough right when you're supposed to speak. Hey, everybody. Thanks for having me on. Uh, pleasure to make your acquaintance, Lewis. I, I, I jotted down some notes for an opening. Um, I'm sure we'll get to rebuttal things, but I, I will say that that opening um, prompted a lot of note-taking, so thanks. Um, I think the biggest difference, uh, the biggest subject that we're going to end up ad addressing today which interestingly you brought up as well is not so much whether or not Christianity is true, which is the subject of the debate and what I'd like to, to hit, but what does it mean to say that something is true? Because for me, truth is that which comports with reality. And apparently for perspective philosophy, truth is that which comports with the mind of God, this kind of Hegelian idealism. Um, to me, that is an example of putting the cart before the horse. My model if there is a God and its mind is consistent with reality, then my model will include it. I just haven't seen sufficient evidence to warrant reaching that conclusion. And the problem is, though, if there's not a God, then Lewis has no truth model at all, despite there being an evident reality with apparently observable, verifiable facts. That may get to the crux of why we've reached different conclusions or whether or not we're going to be able to, to reach any sort of strong agreement here at all. Um, for me, I, I tend to view propositions as either true or not true rather than true or false, because not every proposition is a, a, a truth value to proposition. You may not be able to, it may not be testable. It may not be falsifiable. It may be a paradoxical statement, liar's paradox, whatever. And so it's much easier to view things in terms of propositions being true or not true. And so for me, when we say, is this claim true? It's there's two aspects of this. One is, is it true and we're unaware of it? Like, is it true that there's a rock shaped exactly like my head on Mars? Um, it could be. We or maybe it could be. I don't even know if, if we can say that that's possible. We haven't ruled it out. But it would be absurd for somebody to come along and say, it's true that this is the case, because to me, truth is something that you don't get to declare until you can actually demonstrate it uh, and show it in some way or another. The other aspect is that one component of demonstrating uh, the truth of a claim is whether or not it's falsifiable, whether or not you have a proposition that could, in, in, in principle, be shown to be uh, false. And so the, the example that I came up with today um, for this is, let's imagine that someone is hiding in a room, uh, and we'll start with it just being a child. And somebody comes in and says, there's a child hiding in this room, and we go in and we look around and we don't see anything. And well, it's, it's really cool. The child must be pretty good at hiding in the room. And they'll say, no, he's right there. Now, children don't tend to possess, at, at prior to a certain age, object permanence. And many people have seen a child like run around behind the, uh, the rocking chair and, and hide like this and hang on to it. And it's because in their mind, they can't see you. And this does not click that you can't see them. This is an issue. Uh, with playing hide-and-go-seek with little kids. They don't realize that their legs might be sticking out from the bed or whatever else. When we look at this, though, 
the people who are engaging in reason and inquiry can look at this. And if you brought a hundred people into the room and there's a kid hiding behind the rocking chair and you had them all point to where the kid is hiding, um, everyone with, you know, functional senses are able to point to the, the rocking chair. We get seemingly or nearly unanimous agreement on that. Um, anybody could also demonstrate this. You move the rocking chair, there it is, or there the child is. And a wise person who's hiding behind there would know once people have pointed to them and identified it and everything else that they've been discovered and there's no point in hiding anymore. And if you bring a bunch of people in, they'll get similar answers. It's true that there's a child hiding in the room and it's demonstrable. If there's an adult hiding, it may be much more difficult because they probably have object permanence. So they're going to find better hiding spots. And yet the process is still the same. And we can figure out, hey, there's a person and it's right there. If we've removed everything in the room or everything that we can, if we've ruled out, you know, if there's nothing left but a tiny box that's too small uh, for a human to be hiding in, then we could conclude that it's most likely false that there's a person hiding in the room. But you don't get to claim it's true until you can actually demonstrate it. But some people will say, uh, that's that's really neat, but God isn't hiding in reality. He's real, and he communicates with people all the time. Um, I, I don't see that. I see the claims of that all the time. But any person who isn't hiding and wants to interact with me can do so, and can do that with other people as well. And any person who has been, for example, misrepresented, and there's an important aspect to correcting it, can do so. There are thousands of denominations all identifying as Christian. They are all different, and there's no God coming in to correct any of this misinformation at all. The problem of divine hiddenness is probably one of the strongest and my favorite of the arguments against the existence of a God. And without going into detail on the various versions of it, essentially it means that the world we see doesn't look the way we would expect it to look if, in fact, there were a God there. And when you add that apparent hiddenness to the fact that Christianity, like other religions, uses similar methods, has similar claims, uh, similar impact on its followers, and similar excuses when we go around looking at, hey, well, why didn't this work? Why doesn't this work? Why don't we see this? Why is there suffering in children? Why hasn't you know this prayer been answered? You get the same sort of answers. God works in mysterious ways. God has reasons that we don't understand. Um, God answered the prayer, but he answered it with a no. God has a plan and knows more than us. Uh, so he has a really good reason for why he's created a broken world and then hiding. It's interesting to me to hear a take on, is Christianity true? That, if I were to go back in my head and replay it, involves almost a presuppositional uh, argument for a grounding of logic. Definitely contingency arguments for both logic and reality. Um, and even more, all of these general concepts that are really difficult that perhaps philosophers don't have a solution to. Maybe we don't have a grounding for logic. Maybe it's grounded in, as I think, uh, the, the foundational principles of identity, non-contradiction, excluded middle, which also lead us to math, which leads to set theory, which allows us to categorize anything else. And maybe there is no grounding beyond that, or maybe there couldn't be. I don't know. But it's strange to have an argument for is Christianity true that is based in these kind of almost entirely abstract concepts when Christianity and Christianity as, as perspective philosophy um, as a Catholic is advocating for it involves 
a God with a bunch of properties that seemingly have been discovered or identified in some way, that he's omnimax, that he's uh, Trinitarian, uh, that he's responsible for creation and uh, these concepts of sin and redemption and answered prayer. Um, the notion that there's uh, a God that exists and had the, has these properties is an order of magnitude removed from do we have a grounding for logic? And that would require it to have its own evidence. Now, I was a Baptist uh, for most of my time as a Christian, and I have a particular view on Catholicism that is definitely more biased by my Baptist upbringing than it is by my uh, atheism itself. But an interesting line of reason uh, to get us from, we need some way to understand why there must have been a, an uncaused first cause or a grounding logic to, therefore, the transubstantiation of the Eucharist actually happens. Um, if you are, as and, and we haven't dug into this at all, and I don't know how much we're going to, and I'm probably not qualified to, to dig in on this too much, but I was told that perspective philosophy is, is like a Hegelian idealist, and that he defines truth as that which is comports with the mind of God, or truth is merely the mind of God. I'm not quite sure if there's a distinction between those two. And then if, you, if that's your model of truth, then saying Christianity is true is just to say that Christianity accurately reflects the mind of God, which may in fact be a tautology, but how do we know what the mind of God is? How do we know if there is a mind? How do we know that we're not just projecting our our, our uh, lack of understanding of a certain topic and saying, ah, there must be something, and then I'm going to give it these properties and these properties, and then I'm going to add to those and create not just a deistic God or a theistic God, but a specifically Christian God and specifically a Catholic God drilling down to there. How do we know that there's a mind? And if there is, in fact, no God, then does that mean there's no truth? And if there's not a God and no truth, then how could we ever investigate or explore anything? My model is just that truth is what apparently comports with reality, which we have the ability to investigate to varying degrees, um, and we learn through scientific principles. Um, this is how I go about figuring out what's real and true in the world. And to date, Christianity does not fit that bill. You got it. Thank you very much for that opening as well, Matt. And folks, want to let you know, if you didn't know, Modern Day Debate is available on podcasts. So if you haven't yet, look up Modern Day Debate on your favorite podcast right now so that you can find these debates as we put each debate on the podcast within 24 hours of it being live, and it's ad-free. So highly encourage you to check out Modern Day Debate at your favorite podcast right now. We're going to jump into the open dialogue. Thank you very much, gentlemen. The floor is all yours. Yeah, hey, man. Um, I really like your opening statement. Um, I think it was, it was very good faith and uh, not a bad representation, I think, of what I was trying to get across. Um, a few things I think that maybe we've struck uh, sort of a, a set of um, uh, sort of crossways, I think, in this is that in, in my argument, um, I'm not a presuppositionalist. Um, the veracity of my argument is, in fact, very much against presuppositionalism. Um, I actually think that the affirmation of what would be a presupposed, you know, axiomatic grounding, I'm very much for the ancient Greek consideration of axiom, which is something which is self-evident. Um, although I, I, would, I, I wouldn't really say it's self-evident as much as it's indutable. Um, so when we talk about something which is the like logic, for example, 
it's not something you presuppose. It's something you couldn't do without. It's it's not something that you can get away from. And that would be the difference there. Presuppositionalism, um, to, to be polite, makes me feel physically ill as a philosopher. I really hate it. I understand um, that. And, <laughs> and, and I, and I w- wasn't necessarily trying to saddle you with that. It's just that there, there's a perception, um, and it's going to come up many, many times, that anything that talks about the grounding of logic must be presuppositionalism in some form. Not that you're presupposing logic, but presupposing a foundation for it. Um, and, and I think it may be a, a little bit of wordplay as to whether or not this is truly presupposed. Because um, you and I would agree, I suppose, uh, on identity, non-contradiction, excluded middle. And I just stopped there. And you seem to say there needs to be, that that can't be grounding enough on its own. There needs to be something else. And so you're um, claiming a ground for it that I don't see any demonstration for. And that's why mm-hmm. it kind of gets close to presupposing. I see what you're saying. I probably wouldn't necessarily affirm the excluded middle. I think that's the most controversial as well. Because um, uh, I think the the... the there's a sort of long history in Hegel of why, whether like whether, basically he fervently rejected the law of the excluded middle. And I think I probably agree with his argument, but that's like a separate thing. But I think we do necessarily agree on the law of identity and the law of non-contradiction. Now, I think what I'm saying is what I'm not, I'm not trying to give a ground for this. Uh, they are the ground. Like I would say that logic is the ground. Now, what I'm doing is talking about meta grounding, really. Uh, I, I'm giving a an account of why this necessarily has to be the ground and why it doesn't make sense to reject it. And why this, I would say, rep- it is only understood in terms of a logos uh, the, uh, as the Christian God. Now, the, the there's sort of two things to be said there. I think that there is a metaphysical proposition that I probably haven't outwardly expressed, which is that I say this, I, I'm arguing that this logic isn't something that we are exporting to reality it is reality that when we look at reality and we see that it conforms to these laws it must necessarily conform to these laws it's not that and and this is why science can give us objective truth uh, you know they, they, that we can analyze and come to rational propositions through the application of logic and logical argumentation which will lead us to the point of going for example humans are made of flesh and blood and flesh and blood is made of you know these elements and these elements are essentially birthed from stars which you know we can trace back to a big bang you know what i mean and that causal chain necessitates that there is a causal inferential or logical inferential link between contingent events and that is what I'm saying is necessarily true, that we cannot free ourselves from the a priori or a posteriori manifestations of the same thing, which is a logos. Um, now, obviously, you know, you might say, well, why is that a Christian God? And, you know, like you did actually say, I think you said like Christian God applies many different properties, for example, to God, which I think we can go over. Uh, but I don't want to tangent that just yet, but I'm willing to defend. Um but what I am really defending is that it is a grounding in of itself. And I think that's what's reflected in the Trinity. And it's not something that it's not enough for reality to simply be this way. It has to. It, it's not sorry. It's not enough for to simply say that reality has this logical foundation. I don't know where it came from, you know, and these are the facts you have to show that, for example, universality 
is necessitated in terms of logical thinking, that particularity is necessitated in terms of logical thinking, and that individuality is therefore necessitated in terms of logical thinking, which means you have to essentially create a syllogistic argument defending each and every single one of those premises in relation to each other, and show that it can only be understood in relation to each other, which is exactly what Hegel does. Now, if you were to say that, that those specific logical, I don't want to say, I, I, I mean, you could say persons, if you were to, but logical moments exist, you are going to find that they are distinct, um, they are distinct, but mutually dependent moments of a same substance. And that substance, that sort of foundation of reality, if we will, or even, you know, that which explains all of reality is what I'm arguing God is. And, so, and that's that's what I'm, I'm really getting at. So I want to make, I'm, I'm genuinely trying to make sure that I, I follow and get this as close to right as possible. Um, it seems like that you're looking at the problem of, We'll set aside excluded middle for now. I don't know how you or anybody else can do that, as I feel that it is um, essential and obvious once you once you have identity. I mean, for me, the the foundations of those are best represented by a single circle with A and not A, and that that is a visual description of the, all three of them. But if if my position is that that logic may not have a ground beyond the fact that it is just merely true, that it is, uh, we have no way to show that it is universal, that it is inviolate. And yet I'm willing to accept that it is because as you pointed out in your opening, you would have to assume that it is in order to prove that it's not essentially. And it seems that what you're arguing for is that that's not enough. And so let me go ahead and claim that there's must then be some being that serves as the foundation and guarantor for logic. Is that? No, it would be that it, it is logic. Um, like, I mean, like it's in kind of, was it like John chapter one, where it's like, uh, he was with God and he was God. Um, in the original Greek, it's logos. And if you look at the ancient Greek conception of logos, the ancient Greek conception of logos is a grounded uh, logic. It is logic. It is the logical reality. Uh, that's what I'm arguing God is. So like, um, for example, you if we were to talk about allness, for example, universality, which uh, as a concept is a necessary concept, I would say, for, for knowledge as a whole, um, you would say something like being. It would be like abstract. It would be very abstract. Um, like the Paramedian is that which must exist, right? Is must be, right? I think is the argument that he gives, right? What is must be. Um, that's what I would say, for example, universality is. But to give universality any sort of, to, to know of universality, you'd have to be able to particularize it. You'd have to say that, like, this is universal. And when you say that this is universal, you have to give a concrete observable existence so that, you know, you'd have to be able to observe a being being's existence. Um, that would be, whether it's through rational means or, like, through direct observation empirically, which I think is really just a sort of... Ex, uh, a, a development of rational means, but that's that's separate. And I don't want to go down the sort of Augustian point that epistemology and even in the ways in which we observe the world are structured in such a way as we can logically detect, let's say, patterns or like pattern orientated, and that these patterns are there to be detected. Um, but that that's essentially what's going on. But when we do observe reality, we can we observe particulars. So I'll be like, you know, this cup, this glass, or whatever. Right? That's a particular. And in particularity, it's conceptually 
distinct from anything else. So logically, we could say how these relations work. If you say something's allness, it's something's identity in relation to itself. Something's particularity would be its identity in relation to something else. Its um, individuality would be the unity of those two logical moments. And so I'm arguing that existence necessarily contains that structure. And that structure, when we apply it to existence itself, is everything because it's its allness. It can be particularized and made concrete. I would argue this would be Jesus Christ. And the unity of these two would be God. I know this is, I know it sounds like a jump. I know, I know, but bear with us. But, but, but I would say that the unity of these two is spirit. Uh, and that spirit is a necessary logical relation between that which is abstract or universal and that which is particularized um, in a way that's more sort of, you know, easier to conceptualize in an, a, a normal sort of everyday level, we would say that this is a glass. When we say glass, the word glass is a universal. It applies to all glasses. It's not specific to this glass. And the concept is applicable to anything which would necessarily conform to the logical properties or like to the properties that are revoked within the application of the concept. The particularity of this glass would be its actual existence and the, uni the unity of the two would be being able to say that this is an individual class, individual glass, which means that it is a member of a species, that it can be contained within a set. So if I was to say that there was a set, that was the set of sets, that would be existence, there is the set of sets, and that the set of sets necessarily must contain itself and be united with itself in order to be the set of sets. That would be the logical relation between God and itself. Yeah, so I, we began with this, me, me trying to figure out, and I'm still, at some point, maybe not even in this debate, but at some point we're going to have to get into um, tossing out the law of excluded middle. But Yeah, we can't, we can't. If, so I'm I'm fine with we'll just go with logical grounding, um, and I tried to suggest that you were trying to find a solution to a problem that may not be a problem, may not have a solution by applying God to it, and then your reply was that God is logic, except that logic, as we're describing it, isn't an agent. It isn't a uh, a, a being. It doesn't have. Uh, desires and properties beyond this. Um, so I don't know how one can say that God is logic. And then it seems, and I'm, I'm not trying to be insulting, but it seems like you've taken a look at the difficulties in epistemology and decided that, hey, it'd be really cool if I could map the Trinity on, not as a metaphor, but as an actual and so then particularity becomes Jesus Christ and unity becomes the Holy Spirit. So you've gone from, hey, we have identity and non-contradiction to these things are essentially the instantiation of God the Father, God the Son, and, and the Holy Spirit. I would, I would say that this isn't necessarily uh, just epistemology, by the way, I'd say that it's, uh, I mean, it is, and it is not, it's metaphysics and epistemology, because I'm arguing that this is necessarily part of reality. So for example, if I was to say to you, <clears throat> um, 
is there a necessary first cause? Would you agree with that? Do you believe that there is a first cause to reality itself? I don't know, but let's just say you, I, you I said know. yes. I don't okay. know. So if you say yes, so if we were to chase that causal train down, can it can it end in a contingent object, a no. t- contingent being? No. So it's 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 something that which necessarily must exist. And in that in would you agree that it must therefore contain the possibility for everything which uh uh that uh uh what is it comes after it? I can't I can't use the right word. Well, when you say contain the possibility, the, the thing is, um I I don't know that it would necessarily have to contain the possibility for everything that comes after it, because I don't necessarily, so one of the problems, I, I don't know if you, if you saw, um, and, and my apologies for bringing up debates that you weren't a part of, but oh, in a recent debate that I did with, uh, Hussein, he tried to do an argument from contingency to get to the God of Islam and argues, it, it's funny that you're sticking specifically with the Trinity because that seemed to be his biggest sticking point was that the Trinity was just absurd. And so he, he's going to stick with Islam, but on this notion of, uh, of there being a contingent being, I, w- I would agree that if in fact there isn't an infinite regress, and if in fact there must be some first thing, that it must necessarily be non-contingent. But I don't necessarily know that there needs to be merely one non-contingent thing, nor do I think that these the one or more non-contingent things uh, individually must include the, po- the potential within them for everything else apart from in a like i don't contain the potential to fire to 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 create fire without other like a match and fuel and and those things and i don't create those things and those things are not a part of me so if there was a a single non-contingent thing um then obviously everything comes from that but the interactions between those things are you counting those as potentials within it because if so then yes well, yeah, I mean, like, I mean, okay. like, look at it like this, like, look at it, sure. look at, you know, if we were to say, like, even in physics, right, like, the, it, you know, you see the gravitational potential energy of two bodies in space, for example, we, we would count that in terms of calculations, even if they aren't, let's say, like, colliding or, or like, coming into collision, you could, you could, you can actually, like, you know, it's like big, big G, you know what I mean? And, and then the energy specifically of that body in relation to that uh to another body would then be mapped as a form of acceleration right well, Do you know it, what i mean it, but what, what i'm saying is so so like if you look at it, you striking the match like the potential for you to make the flame from the match and that your causal interrelation with that is necessarily included in your action right like but i'm, I'm talking about i didn't i also didn't make the match and so no but somebody did like and that's I, I, just I, yes and if i could have finished the sentence that's literally what i was going to say sorry next. oh sorry i didn't mean to interrupt so what this is why I'm saying I'm not I'm not sure that it needs to go back to a single contingent, um, but perhaps a collection of things. But even if we do go back to a single contingent, I think I, I probably would favor. I, I know there are some that, that that are favoring mathematics as the foundation. I think mathematics is is uh, derived from logic, which is why I just stick with logic. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's fair enough. Yeah, uh, but uh, that then. That's fair enough. I mean, there's nothing really wrong with that. I mean, in terms of like, if we were to go back, then yeah, we say that there is a necessary first cause. Can we? So have how do knowledge? we get to Christianity? So what I would say is, in terms of particularizing any any specific being, we have to give a kind of causal account in order to give 
to convey what I would describe as the essence, the idea, the um, the meaning of something. So when I say that this, is, you know, if I was to say that, you know, this is a microphone or whatever, or give a name to an object, I'm actually describing essentially logical properties within that object that infer its logical relation uh, and in physical terms, its physical relation with other objects. That is uh, something which it, which implies a relationship to something which preceded it, which is why Aristotle, Thomas Aquinas in the cosmological argument and Leibniz show that contingent beings can only be understood in relation to that which uh, which was its antecedent um, in the first place. So it's not just that you, it, it's more of the fact that now we have, if we were to say that there is this sort of universality or, we, or there is this first cause, that this first cause necessarily is used to understand something. So even if we just say, like, let's say that this first cause is just the particular starting event, its particularity, we'll say, the particular starting event, in order to give an ex explanation for every event past that, we are going to assume universality. It's the same thing with uh, uh, universality. We're going to have to assume particularity. So if we accept that there are these three logical relations, that they necessarily exist, that their existence is necessarily within the universe itself, then we have a logos. Now, the only thing that I think that separates, if we accept the existence of a logos, the only thing that would separate a more secular or atheistic position, and let's say my position in terms of being Christianity, would be whether this is a mind, which I think you brought up before. Whether we can accept that this logos is a mind, or, you know, it would be, which is essentially whether well, it's the mind of God. Sorry, I... It, I I heard a pause, my bad. Uh, no, no, it's okay. I think that's a, a, like the first step would be to show that, yes, it's a mind. And then there's about, well, I, I don't know, I don't, I don't want to exaggerate too much, five billion steps between <laughs> it's a mind to it is the holy trinity of the, the true Catholic church according to the Athanasian, I mean, that's, there's a lot of steps between whether or not it's a mind to it's, it's not a only a mind, topic. but it's this particular mind. So, for example, Sorry. if we were to nuke, uh, let me let me ask a couple quick hypotheticals that might be useful. <clears throat> yeah. Do you think there is intelligent life elsewhere in the universe? Very most most likely. I can't prove it, but yes, I would imagine there is. Do they have the Catholic Bible? Uh, probably not. Um. Unless Jesus went and visited them, and perhaps the whole the the Holy Spirit has revealed to them the same thing, um, but the, wouldn't, I, I wouldn't don't that, think you wouldn't that need to be the case? I mean, if no. oh, okay, because my my thought is that your definition of truth is that which comports with the mind of God. So then mm -hmm. they don't have access to truth. No, they do. I mean, that, that's there's a difference between if I was to say reality and the mind of God are one and the same, and that we are set within a panthe pantheon within a pantheistic conception of reality, um, then de their existence would simply give them access to the mind of God, uh, so long as they have epistemological mechanisms. They're capable of but reasoning have, and perceiving the world. If they have access to the mind of God, and the mind of God comports directly mm -hmm. with what you understand as Catholicism, then they would have access to Catholicism. Well, they would have access to evidence that Catholicism was true. Uh, which is exactly what Thomas Aquinas argues, that we could look, we don't necessarily need to look to scripture in order to prove the truths that are in Catholicism. And he argues that they're all provable through natural reason, which I would concur. Um, so you, you think that the, the statements in the Athanasian Creed yes, are, are all are provable pro through reason? Really? Because it yeah. starts off, um, well, there's, 
the father was the, the historical uh, facts would would require them actually going to they you know doing a lot of archaeological evidence but the spiritual facts uh, i would say are, are accessible oh. any so the things the that the things that supposedly actually happened here on earth that were then written about that becomes the religion they don't have access to any of those well i don't but think the, that becomes a religion at all either and I, I mean i'm almost a perennialist sorry i don't mean to interrupt i'm almost a perennialist when it comes to this stuff but I think you're saying they don't have access to any of that but they will know they will know that there's a trinity yeah the trinity they could look at they could come to the truths of the trinity without it necessarily including the uh the allegory or, or even the historical account of of christ no i don't think that's necessary to come to the spiritual truths of the trinity no might make me very popular among many catholics that like i think that the the I don't rely upon divine revelation through scripture in order to create a rational logical inference in which how reality is purported to work within within scripture. It's not like it's not when 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 we look towards the truths of Christianity, they should be observable within the natural world. And if you're well, any Christian, I would say this, any Christian's version of Christianity, which does not purport to nature, needs to give the head a wobble because they are being actively contravened by their experiences, which demonstrates that they are wrong. Um, well, so, no, so no, I, w- I, wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily have to rely upon simply a scriptural take. Um, okay, but if we go through this thing, so um, they would be able, these, these aliens, to conclude that Jesus uh, is God because God is his father, and is human because his mother was human, even though they have no idea what humans They wouldn't are. have to say human, and uh, specifically, they would have to understand that he could have particular concrete existence. And I, I would say that would be the experience of God, for example, in all of us. I think, I think it, Isaac Beshevis Singer said uh, there is a divine spark. He wasn't a Christian, he was a Jew, actually. But there is a divine spark that exists in all creatures, for example. Um, now we would see that as the spirit in Christianity, but if we were to essentially say that there was a being which contained all of spirit, essentially all of the unity of the father, like all of the father, right. And it's universality, but as a particular being, and we would say that this necessarily must exist for any other particular being to exist, you know, because a particular can only be understood if this was necessarily possible or necessarily concrete, then we would say that there is a being. Doesn't the alien might portray it as its own race? You know, could portray it as a cow. I don't, I don't really care. They might portray it as something else, but that would necessarily, um, you know, the like for example, the father, the son, and the spirit. In logical terms, they could come to that truth, and I think that they very well might come to that truth. So, for for clarity, we'll we'll go with Klingons. Klingons, good choice. So, Klingons wouldn't know anything until they actually met and interacted with humans, wouldn't know anything about humans. So would they then discover that Jesus was fully God and fully Klingon? Sorry, that Jesus was fully God and fully Klingon? That, that, yeah. I mean, like, in theory, yeah, he, he could be, yeah. Like, for example, I, I would I would affirm, for example, that Jesus Christ, can, like, well, God and Jesus Christ specifically could manifest him in any any way that he chooses to. Whether he comes down as a human man, whether he comes down as a dog, he could do what he wants. That's it's kind of the point, right? They, yeah, but it's they, not about what he could do; it's about what supposedly happened. 
it's what he is. The, it's more about the fact that he is no, everything so, in its no, perfection. It's, it's so no, his human part is not perfection. His human oh, is, is there is the sinful nature. This is supposed to be an no, atonement no, no. for look, human look at sin. It, look at the, where I'm still talking, where sorry, sin and sorry, death sorry. were brought into the world by the sin of Adam and Eve. Um, did did their sin bring it in for the Klingons too, or did Klingons have their own Adam and Eve who fucked the, up? The, then they've been naughty boys themselves. But the 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 if so the story just the, repeats everywhere where there's intelligent life with Jesus repeatedly coming down, taking that form, and dying remember, in order to free sorry. them. Remember, Catholics as well don't take, for example, something like Genesis to be literal. Uh, we take it to be allegorical, and lots Some of the do. Bible to be allegorical. Uh, well, we're supposed to. It's the word of God, not the words of God, which has been well, divinely the, inspired. The one true faith specifically talks about, you know, uh, he yeah, suffered He suffered for our salvation, descended to hell, arose from the dead, ascended to heaven, is seated at the Father's right hand. Is all of that allegory too? Um, I mean, I wouldn't have a problem interpreting it as allegorical. Um, it's well, I would probably be heterodoxical for saying that, still contained within the Catholic Church, but um, not the primary uh, in uh, interpretation of, of Scripture. But yeah, I would say that it's very possibly allegorical. Uh, I'm not here to debate hi biblical history. I'm here to debate spiritual fact. Uh, and that's why I'm arguing that uh, that this is possible and accessible to to let's say Klingons, and if you look at the Bible and the well, look at the uh, I can never say it, the Athanasian Creed. It actually says that humanity is assumed into God. So actually, um, the unity. Catholics argue that the unity of the divine and humanity is absolute. It's not that it's not that Christ is imperfect. He is perfect even in his humanity. It would be more typical, pro typically Protestant to say that actually the humanity and the uh, divinity within Christ was only made possible, even though it's a contradiction, was only made possible through the power of God. So uh, was, no, uh, no, he was it, perfect when he said, "My God, My God, why hast thou forsaken me?" Absolutely, because that okay. shows the that shows the uh, perfect weakness, perfect it, confusion. It, no, it shows his humanity. There is nothing wrong with having weakness. It is perfect, flawed humanity. His humanity is there's, is, there's is, nothing imperfect about having weakness. If if, nothing if he's God, then how can he think that God betrayed him? He is God because how how could have you ever thought you've betrayed yourself? Have you ever doubted yourself? Do you think God could be am I perfect? True to himself without the capacity to doubt himself. Am I perfect? No, but do you think that he could? Be if true I were to perfect, himself? I would not doubt myself because I'm perfect. But how could you know you are perfect unless you did doubt yourself? How, well, I'm I'm resisting the phrase to just say how ridiculous, but you just said, how could you know you're perfect unless you did something imperfect? No, I'm saying, how would you know you are perfect unless you engaged in the capacity? And there's nothing imperfect it about does a it. Perfect, a perfect circle doesn't exist, but if we assume that a perfect circle does exist, mm -hmm. could God create a perfect circle? Um, I'm, I'm, yeah, I, I suppose, yeah. Sure. So... I mean, the concept it, of the if, circle if in the general circle, would be... If, I, yes, if the circle exist. is truly perfect, is there any possibility that it is imperfect? Well, well, the, yeah, there is the possibility that could be something other than itself, otherwise it wouldn't be able to be itself. That which is... It's, no, like, saying, it's like the, it's like the, the necessitation rule, right? Like, there has to be possibility. This is what even happens even when you throw out the law of excluded middle. How is not okay? We can talk about the law of the excluded middle. If no, you no, want, no, this is nothing to do with this. The, 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 the thing is, I, I'm talking about here's something that's perfect, 
If it's perfect, is there any possibility that it is in any way imperfect? How would this relate to the law of the excluded middle? I, I'm asking a question. No, but I'm, I'm asking you how this relates to the law of the excluded it middle. It may not. Why don't you then answer why did you the say question? I, I, okay. I'm sorry that you don't grasp this, but I said something, no, and now I'm fair. going back to try to figure out exactly okay. where this went wrong so I can show that. All I'm saying is, if something okay. is perfect, is there any possibility that it is imperfect? So long as it obtains its identity, then it has been shown to be perfect, then it would be, I wouldn't say it would be, I'd say that its existence contains the possibility of its existence, which would would in, contain the possibility of its, maybe it's, yeah, I would probably say that there's no possibility that it could not be itself. That would be the law of identity. Wow. I I don't know why this is so painful. I just figure if something's perfect, then there's no possibility that it's not perfect. I just I just affirmed that. I just I, said I know, that. but it, it took a while before we got to the final no, sentence. But that's the law of, yeah, so so now one, before we move on. Now, please explain. So are you I, saying that this has I'm nothing not, to do with the law of executive middle? I don't know yet. This is what I'm trying to suss out. You're the one with a position. So why did you make the accusation? Look, okay, it's the law of identity. That's what you're affirming. No, and, it's not merely the yes, law of is. identity. Identity identity, what is what entails the Maybe other the law of non-contradiction. Yes. Okay, so you're saying that it would be a contradiction to be perfect and imperfect simultaneously. Correct. Okay, great. That's not the point. If it's that would be a metaphysical point, true. I, that's absolutely how do you know that's not the point. It's my point to make. I'm asking a question to try to get to clarity. Is okay. it possible? As as I is it possible? Is it possible for something to be both perfect and not perfect? Of course not. Would a perfect mind understand that? Yes. Would a perfect mind ever have reason to doubt that it was perfect? How would a perfect mind understand it? So when I get to the question, so you're, you're answering a question, you're answering a question, and when question. I get to the one that exposes your flaw, it's not you a ask flaw. a different question. It's not a flaw. I'm, I'm saying it, that it is, is a flaw. It is a flaw. It's, if something is perfect, there is no chance that it's not perfect. If, so, if there's a perfect mind, then there is no chance that it is imperfect. The, the if, whole, sorry. If there's a perfect mind, then it would understand that there's no chance that it's not perfect, right? Okay, let me. If you want, I'll, I'll even use the Christian allegory for this, right? If we look at the existence of God the Father, all knowing, I'm not talking about Christian. I'm talking about X is well, perfect. Yeah. No, I'm no, talking okay, about well, okay. a perfect mind. I know. I'm not said, talking about Christianity right now. I'm talking about well, a perfect not, mind. Why not make this? Look, Can a perfect it, mind doubt that it is perfect? In terms, I'm I'm trying to answer the question. It's a yes or no question. Why would you why would you engage in such a way? Like that's just ridiculous. Look, I'm trying to Why would to I engage in such a way that's just ridiculous? Yeah. I just did it with a circle and you did Look, a tap dance. Stop. Will you please stop. let me speak? Stop. You did no. a tap dance Look, around. No, I will not no. be. All right, then I won't stop Gentlemen, either. We'll get we need to, to, do, to figure out who's talking the most I hate to do and this, which one is dancing around. To, what I do have to do is a perspective I want to give Matt a chance to unpack just because we've given you uh I know that it was much earlier in the debate, to be fair, but there were some portions where it was, you know, like four or five minutes. So I do want to give Matt plenty of time to give a quick rebuttal, and then I promise to give you a chance to respond perspective, but bear with me. Go ahead, Matt. If X is perfect, and you've agreed that if X is perfect, it cannot be imperfect. And if we have a perfect mind, then it can't be an imperfect mind. 
at a perfect mind should understand that it's a perfect mind, unless you want to claim that it doesn't know that it's perfect, and then I don't know how it's perfect. And so at, at how could a perfect mind ever doubt whether or not it was perfect? That's the question. Okay, is it all right if I speak now? Is that, yeah, okay. Fair enough, I understand that. So I'm arguing not that it that the doubt obtains, but that the doubt was only a moment within the existence of God. So when we look at knowledge, and we're not just simply saying truth, not something's identity with itself, which necessarily something is perfect, it must be perfect. Absolutely, 100%, agree with you there. If God is perfect, he must know himself to be perfect. What I'm arguing is that the, that the, the, the way in which you know something is to have the capacity to accept that is what? Falsifiable. Now, you made that argument. You said that something to be true and knowable must be falsifiable. So unless you are going to say that that is not the case, then you have to affirm that in order for something perfect to know itself, it must have the capacity to doubt itself or be unsure of that certainty and therefore overcome it. Now, that is exactly what happens within the story of the Trinity. God the Father asks something of the Son. The Son doubts the Father. The Son overcomes that doubt, ascends into heaven, and is united with the Father in spirit. That is essentially the logical unity that is going on there. So, yes, absolutely, I do believe that there is nothing imperfect about Christ in that moment. So, for, for those who are, are watching... I removed Christianity from this and specifically talked about a perfect mind and whether or not it's possible for a perfect mind to doubt that it is perfect, whether or not this leads to some sort of contradiction showing that it's not perfect. And your response is that it was a moment of doubt. It was a moment. And once, once they had overcome that moment, a perfect mind would not need to overcome that. And so what you repeatedly said is, what I'm arguing is, what I'm arguing is, what I'm arguing is. So instead of addressing the abstract notion of a perfect mind as an abstract, you would not view it except in terms of your argument with the Trinity, which I don't recognize the possibility that there is such a thing as a perfect mind. I don't, I'm not the one making the argument that any such thing exists, but you took the abstract single perfect mind and overlaid it into your story, even though I had gone to efforts to remove it from that. And then you basically said, yeah, it's perfect, but perfection includes the ability to doubt for a moment whether you're perfect. I disagree. Okay, that's fair enough. I can see that you disagree. Um, I think that the disagreeing with this would necessarily you, lead you to reject your earlier statement that what is can be shown to be true necessarily has to be falsifiable. Why? So I'm just, well, because if the a perfect mind could not doubt that it was itself, then it would have no ability to actually affirm or falsify the truth of its, the proposition that it is itself. That no, it, is it would, it would know. How it would it know? It, the, it would, the, it would already know this. There would be no point of doubt. There would be so nothing so it, that it would wouldn't it understand. Would it be unfalsifiable? Would what be unfalsifiable? It's knowledge that it is itself, that it is perfect. Well, the only thing that matters with regard to falsifiability is truth claims. You were talking mm -hmm. about the ontology of a perfect mind. Wait, I, I, wait, so you do think that, so when you say that the ontology of a perfect mind, yeah, that's fine. We, we agree that it's perfect. 
we've already agreed that it's I said that in the moment in which how would it know it? It would be a process, an active process. And we agree that this process, well, I'm arguing that this process led. A perfect to mind doesn't act- need a process. A perfect mind knows and understands everything without exception. Well, yeah, but that would be the unit. Like, look, look, like, look at it like this. That, that there's nothing wrong with, like, it does need a process, actually. But that, that would be its actual constant affirmation of itself. It would have to say, I, I am. Next. Why would a perfect mind need constant affirmation? Because it would have to constantly obtain itself. No, so it, like, it wouldn't, for, it wouldn't something need to be true, anything. It, it would have to, well, it would need itself. That's the point. It would need to be It itself. has itself. It doesn't need itself. It just is itself. I mean, if you're, if you're going to be desperately flailing around to find something it needs and just say it needs itself, so it already has itself. The, the, you might, it, it, that's I don't just think a you tautology. That for something to be itself, there are, and this is the whole point of my argument, that there is certain logical conditions to be itself. For example, it's particularity. Which means, and as I said before, the particularity is a logical analysis or a logical, um, the logical affirmation of something in relation to others, which means that it has to affirm that there is a possibility of others. So like, for example, if we take a circle and to say that this is a circle and not a square, we would say that, like, well, it's a circle and not a square. Its identity is It a doesn't matter if it's a square. B. It does. It doesn't. It's a circle. It it, it's like... It, it look at it like this, right? If I was to say that something is perfect, okay, then I have to be able to say that it is not imperfect. That's that's about you being able to tell whether or not it's perfect. You're not a perfect mind either. But even if I was a perfect mind, I would have to affirm that it is not. How do you imperfect. know that? You're not a perfect mind. How do you know what a perfect mind wouldn't have? To because do? it's logically necessary. It's not logically necessary. If it's it is, perfect, it does. It is from, a perfect we, mind wouldn't need anything. So do you think that a perfect mind could engage in a form of knowing which excludes, let's say, syllogistic, like a kind of syllogistic reasoning? I don't of, think a perfect mind can exist. Okay, but I mean, that that's not the point. You're, I mean, this is a hypothetical and you're holding me to the sure. point of, a, if you're willing to say, how would I know what a perfect mind, is? you know, and you, if I was, if, and, and if I was to say, well, yeah. I know it exists and that's how I, it's like, it's a hypothetical. You, you know, you are engaging with it in such a way. Yeah, if there say, was a perfect mind, what's the question? So if there was a perfect mind, would it would it have to engage in the form of logical analysis to understand itself, to gain knowledge no, of itself? No. So how would it know? How would it know? It it just is. It just does. It is. It is perfect. Well, it, 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 you say that it's perfect, but what's its perfection if it doesn't have... Its if, perfection if, if, is... So a mind is a... For lack, I, this is going to be hard to describe, but essentially, a mind is the thinking thing. Mm-hmm. Sorry. So let's say this: the thinking a perfect thing. thinking thing is incapable of error. Mm-hmm. It doesn't require any thought to say, "Hmm, am I actually incapable of error?" Because that would suggest that it could be capable of error, but it knows that it's not capable of error. There's no process. It is merely perfection. Perfection is perfection. It doesn't need to demonstrate or affirm it. It is perfection. But it's it's the demonstration is to itself. It's it's that it, it it is a unity between itself. It's the thinking and the thoughts that it has. It it doesn't require a demonstration because it can't be wrong. But how, like the whole point is that it can't be wrong, and it knows it can't be wrong. Yes. And the reason it knows it can't be wrong is because it understands its thoughts perfectly. Yes. And the reason it understands its thoughts perfectly is because 
it is a logical relation with itself, which is perfect. Yes. Unless you're implying that there is a form of thinking which all does of those not things are correct. to logic. All of those things are correct, and none of them require a moment of doubt. So you're so just so I understand this, you're trying to say that what I'm arguing as a logos has the possibility of denying logical analysis or logic in order to gain knowledge. It has it has knowledge without itself. It no, has it knowledge precedes, without this logical. It precedes logic. It doesn't precede logic. No Christian believes that it precedes logic. I don't it's care that. what most no Christian believes. What no Christian believes is irrelevant. I'm talking about, we're not even talking about Christianity, despite the fact that that's supposed to be the topic. I'm talking about a perfect mind. You seem to be incapable of focusing on this abstract perfect mind without injecting Christianity and without injecting what other Christians say or anything else. I, at no point in this did I mention whether or not most Christians say it. or Why would I care what most fallible, flawed minds think about a perfect God? So... You're, the argument you're trying to engage in is a kind of uh, the same as the argument of allegory that like, so Thomas Aquinas or someone would engage in, that we cannot know the mind of God perfectly. And so for us to attribute something to it would mean that we would diminish its perfection. Sure. Yeah. The reason why that does, uh, that was actually what made me an agnostic, like, you know, a few years ago, because, it, you know, how could I know God if I have, if I as a human am incapable of knowing? Then I, I understand that that is... Um, I understand that that's a, a big moment of doubt for people. Um, so there's a there's a few things in that. One, it's not that you you know that you can't know God. Is that you might be able to know God in His perfection, but you can know aspects of God that must necessarily be the case. It's I not like that. yeah. So like I, you to can't say know that perfection. God is yeah. So I I don't know God, and this is this is Thomas Aquinas again. Like you know, he actually argues that the ontological argument doesn't make sense because in, in, in his argument, in his belief, he thinks that the absolute knowledge of a mind, the most perfect being that would necessarily have to exist, well, that is incomprehensible to a human. So I don't, but yet he still believes in God and actually argues he can rationally believe in God. So do you see the, the reason that he does this is because it's not that you need to know what God knows about himself. You simply need to know how God would know himself and that's because how things can be known necessarily because you cannot it, posit something no, no the, the whole point of what i'm arguing something can know itself from a limited perspective yeah i'm arguing from okay i'm arguing from God my limited, limited. Human, and my limited human perspective can come to the conclusion that the only way something can know that there can be knowledge requires that that it can be falsified or has the possibility of being false otherwise it's simply an assertion uh, so like unless like this is this is why i said unless you're affirming that knowledge itself is can be unfalsifiable and uh, which I, i've seen you in other arguments as well rely upon this that I'm, you are, that you unless you're affirming that knowledge itself can be unfalsifiable you have no reason to say that just because jesus doubted god on the cross that it means that uh, that the father on the cross means that he is uh, not God. Like it's such a strange way to, to say that. It's like as if he, as if the very act of engaging in the thinking that would make him most credibly God, the fact that he has proven himself to himself, you see that as a weakness. Yeah. I see that as only strength. Well, that's because you've, you know, well, here's the thing. Um, you're looking at this from the standpoint 
of a flawed being and trying to put how we attain knowledge and our understanding of knowledge and trying to say that God must also, or a perfect being, must also attain knowledge in the same way. Um, I think that is a critical failure, just as if you were saying that God exists outside of space and time and you tried to make God contingent or dependent on space and time or causality. Um, I'm saying that our understanding of how we attain knowledge and how we go about thinking, we try to extend that to perfection and we can't get there. And to say that a perfect God has the same limitations that we do is bizarre. And when Jesus, now, if you were to say, yes, Jesus was fully man and fully human, not only does that not make sense, but the Trinity doesn't make sense, but his human part wasn't perfect, that it's the part that had doubts and not the God part that had doubts. But as soon as you say God had doubts, then that's not perfection. Um, I, I would definitely disagree for reasons that I've okay. already stated, and I don't want to, you know, just, you know, uh, you know, keep going with it. Um, but let, 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 I just sort of want to want to say that not only do I fervently disagree, but there is, when we look at, and I think this really is where we differ, and I think this is the fundamental aspect of it, which is why I said I think that it's probably a metaphysical difference in terms of, like, you know, for example, I th- I'm an idealist. I, I don't know what you are. Um, I'm, an, I'm an objective idealist, so uh, or an absolute idealist in, in the style of Hegel. But when I say something like, um, when I'm talking about God and I'm talking about you know, the ways in which we understand the world, the logical categorization in which we recognize certain characteristics in reality. For example, the, the, uh, the existence of a species, the, um, you know, the, 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 the fact that gravity is like that we can calculate big G, for example, and come up with essentially uh, concrete facts about an objective reality, which exists necessarily. And I can know these facts. When I say that, I'm, I, I, and we engage in that, I'm not saying that we are, for example, perf- we, that we would we couldn't do this if we're perfect, or that the logical analysis, unless you're perfect, rather, or that the log- logical analysis in which I engage in isn't, um, doesn't have the capacity to come to this kind of knowledge, right? The reason that we wouldn't say that, and, and I think, for example, I think that you just assume that it does. I think that you just assume that these categories sort of, we just assume that this applies to reality, that like the categories of space and time um, are sort of, we, we perceive them and, uh, uh, you know, you know, project them onto the world. I would argue that these categories are objective, right? Now, whether we're, we're categorizing correctly is separate to affirming whether these categories are objective or not. Now, I would say space and time, for example, is objective. It's come to be known as space time. We get, a, you know, greater and greater knowledge of this. Uh, and I wouldn't affirm, let's say, like a Kantian position that affirms that, you know, like this is uh, just in my head and I'm I'm a limited agent and so on. It's rather that in engaging in a form of categorization, there is a self-correcting mechanism in which the category is applied to itself, which creates a essentially a feedback loop. And this is the basis of truth. And this is why logic leads us to truth, because it is I, attr- I try to apply the category. The category is not applied perfectly. I reevaluate the category. It applies better. And so on. This is what's called the hermeneutic circle, if you've ever seen it in in terms of uh, in, in in philosophical terms. And essentially, that's what I would say that we engage in. In terms of a perfect mind, it would engage in sure the same hermeneutic we... circle. Just to, we're going to go into the Q and A soon. Pardon my interruption. We're going to go into the Q and A soon. Also, wanted to be sure that we, before we do that, have one last quick response from Matt, and then I'll give you a chance to finish that point, though. Perspective. 
before we could go over to Matt. If you wanted yeah, oh, to right, finish okay, that sorry. I, right, okay, yeah, so that, that circle is, uh, that, I say that God engages in that same kind of thinking, and that is its unity. It is that it knows itself as perfection. It's the unity of essence and existence. That's why it's a logos, not just simply a, a sort of abstract being, but a being which knows itself. You got it. We'll kick it over to Matt before we go into the Q&A. Is God bound by space-time? Um, I wouldn't say so. Okay. It depends if he chooses to be, I guess. You got it. Any last thoughts before we go into the Q&A section? Oh, I'm sure there'll be more coming up. Let's just get to Q&A. We're going to jump right into it. I want to say, folks, what I'm going to do here in just a moment is only for 30 seconds. So don't worry. This is something we do really rarely. But just to be absolutely sure, in case you're not paying attention, we have channel membership. So for just 30 seconds, I'm going to flip on the members-only chat. Like I said, just 30 seconds. Want to make sure that you know we do have these channel memberships. It has emojis from the channel. We are working on building the perks for these memberships. So I do want to encourage you to check that out. If you click on the join button just below the video feed, so where it usually has the channel name and where it says stuff like subscribe, you can click join to see those perks. As like I said, we're also going to be building those up with additional perks for June. We're setting those to launch soon, but just want to be sure you see those. And we're going to jump into, as I mentioned, the q and want to say, folks, as usual, want to say we do not want insults toward the guests. So want to have you be your regular friendly self. So jumping into it, thank you very much for your question. This one first coming in from, do appreciate it. David Spencer says to acknowledge logic is to pre-assume Lisa the rainbow giraffe. Is this a meme that I'm like new to? I've never heard of that. Me neither. Um, I'm assuming he's just saying to um, uh, apply logic is to presume logic. Um, I think that's necessarily mistaken um, to, to apply logic. It's not that you apply logic or that you have the choice to not apply logic. It's something that is indubitable. If you try to reject logic, you will apply logic. And you can even see examples of this in Aristotle's metaphysics, where if you try to reject the law of non-contradiction, you will essentially affirm a contradiction. And and you'll actually have to, or even rather, you'll have to apply the law of non-contradiction, which then leads to a, a, non, a contradiction. So it ends up essentially destroying itself. And that's what I'm getting at. You got it. Any thoughts, Matt? Nope. You got it. We'll jump into the next one. And thank you very much for your question. It's Pizazu says, how can Jesus be God if God is a trinity? So I think a broader challenge of the trinity. Um, yeah, sure. So the, the this is what, the, for example, if you look at something like Aristotelian metaphysics and you, you ever see something which is substantially the same, but uh, containing different uh, aspects, it's something similar to that, but but a, a bit a bit different. So the substance of what is God would be contained within each of the persons uh, in very different ways. If I was to judge God in his allness, then I would see the Father, existence itself, absolute reality, which is why the Father is often seen as something which escapes comprehension. If I look at God in his particularity, I would see Jesus Christ. I would see a man who is who is this universality made real. He walks the, walks the earth, he drinks water, does some mad stuff, pretty cool guy. If I see the unity of those things, 
uh, I will see the spirit. That's often considered love because it's a form of caring, uh, a unity in which there is a, a necessary relationship in which its identity actually affirms itself or is affirmed within this um, reality. So it is the concrete universality of God and it okay. is the unity of those two. Thoughts, Matt? I, I don't have anything to add on the Trinity. You got it. This one from Fetor Mephitis says, Thank you for hosting this, James. My pleasure and all credit to the guests. They're the lifeblood of the channel. They say, looking like a good one. I may have a question later if that's okay. Yep, let me know, Feeder, if you got that question. Displaced Gamer, thanks very much. Says, perfect, can't improve. They're saying perfect as in colon, can't improve. Perfect being wouldn't change perfect state. God was perfect alone before the universe. Universe's existence changed perfection. Contradiction, God's existence contradicted. Um, is, I might not, I can answer that. Yeah, like so, I can understand why you you would look at it that way. But remember that God is eternal and atemporal. So the you know the whole point of John chapter four is to say that Christ, who were, who was assumed into heaven, already existed prior to his experience on earth. Actually existed before earth, uh, and and so existed, ca came to earth, uh, lived a human life, and assumed into heaven. So the relationship in the Trinity, and and it's in the Athanasian Creed was already necessary from prior to this relationship although saying prior is a bit of a, a mistake in some respects because it implies tempor temporality remember like it is eternality but it's not eternal as in everlasting but as in timelessness the absolute relation of god to himself is what necessarily produces this reality which is why thomas aquinas would say the knowledge of god is actually the most causative aspect of God. It is what causes his willing. It is the, the constant creation or sustenance or sustenance of reality itself. So it is that relationship which uh, manifested the story and the, the historical events that would then occur and all of this. You got it. This one from Appreciate It, Ozzy and Talks. Thanks so much for gifting those memberships in the chat. Folks, if you got a membership, check out those channel emoticons including Juicy and others. Ozian says, if God's mind requires a process to know things, then that means God works within time, which means God is a contingent being to time, not necessary. That's actually a really nice point. I like to say what you're saying, like essentially if God existed within time, then, it, you know, this implies like a kind of um, uh, a procedure which implies that it is not something which is complete even as well. The, the issue with this, really, as I've said, is that it's it's more of the fact that God not only exists outside of time, but creates time. It, it, it's not a process in the sense of it being a uh, the way in which humans think, which is uh, linearly. It is a logical relation between something and itself. So it's that there are three separate persons of the Trinity which are logically related to itself. You get, if you Google Athanasian Creed or you Google the Trinity, and you'll find a little diagram which essentially shows a, a, a picture Linking, which would be like, you know, the Father is not the Son, which is not the, the Spirit, which is not, but they are all contained within God. That unity is everlasting. It's, it's, it was eternal. It's not something that is uh, procedurally sort of happened and then stops. It is the happening. It is what produces reality itself. But it's not something that's like temporal. It's something above and beyond that. But I can see that me, me use of terminology 
maybe ascribed a temporality onto it that I, I wasn't affirming. It, it's not like that. You got I'm actually, I'm actually working on a video uh, pointing out the absurdity of that very diagram. And so maybe you can help. Um, can God change his mind? Um, it, um, it depends on what you mean. Can God change his mind, I guess. Okay. Like, well, I mean, never God, mind then. Never mind no, no, I, I, just because if, if God is his mind um, and he is this thing, so like, you mean can God learn anything himself? new? Can God learn anything new? Mm, no, I guess not. Then, how, sure. then this is this is why I raise this problem of doubting. Um, there can't be a moment of doubt if you already know what the answer is going to be. You have nothing but, to overcome if you can't learn anything new. Okay, but now take that. Think of it non-temporally. The doubt is accepted and overcome in the same moment. Yeah, so, so as soon I, I don't accept that there is anything that's non-temporal, but that's fine. You don't accept anything that's non-temporal. That's like no offense, but like what about the notion like, that there's a mind that isn't bound by time, or that there's causation that isn't bound by time? All of those things are necessarily temporal, as far as I can tell. But I mean, look at like what about like relations in quantum dynamics? We see that that's not necessary causal in the sense that it's it's, it's still related, bound, it's still bound by time. Uh, well, it depends. The fourth dimension is not necessarily like, the fifth dimension's like above the fourth dimension. It's not like. Like if, uh, I mean, assume, I'm not. I'm not necessarily arguing for something like string theory, but I, I'm just saying that I think it's. I think you you would have to affirm that there that there would be no model of physics which could apply non-linear causation or retrocausative effects, which I think we see evidence of the exact opposite in quantum dynamics, where we see something from the future changing the past or having occurred, which has has an effect on the past. Uh, so I, I don't. I don't know why. Like I'm not affirming like any specific theory. I don't know why you would argue that. Yeah, because God is in quantum mechanics, and the, you're, you're arguing by analogy. If something isn't in any way bound to space or time, if it knows, there can't be a moment of doubt if there's no moment. Must move on to the next one. This one, appreciate it. Eerie Poplar says, Deuteronomy 23, 12 through 14, suggests that God views... Fecal matter as unclean, yet God is comfortable indwelling humans with all the fecal matter they have inside of them. What's up with that? I think that's meant to be serious. Mm. Not one of Matt's um, arguments. <laughs> this is what, yeah. Yeah. Don't, I don't really understand. I'm the one that's most likely to say another word for fecal matter, but um, it's, it's may, maybe here. Maybe let me let me help out maybe caller or, or questioner maybe it's perfectly clean and acceptable while it's inside and not when it comes out because when i first put the food in my mouth it was seemingly clean and acceptable it's only after it makes it through the entire process so maybe i don't i don't know why god would be upset about a, a better question is you know why he puts the fun factory and the defecation place so close together this one just, from? just to try and be clear, because I think I understand what you're saying. Just to be clear, like the whole point of the relationship between identities is to say that this is a constantly occurring relationship. So like the, the, the God's relationship to his own doubt or the capacity to doubt that's ever exceeded. I, I don't see how it's 
And I don't see how it's an issue more than anything, because I think that you'd have to ascribe temporality to God for this to be an issue. Yeah, I had no idea that you'd gone back to the previous question. I was actually answering the one that was just asked. Yeah, yeah, but the pre, the pre, that, that was an affirmation that something could not be itself. Like, was it perfect or imperfect? It was in relation to what we're talking about, yeah? No, and I was given, no, oh, it well, wasn't. It was then a maybe I misunderstood. It was a complaint I think it was a that in Deuteronomy, God seems to be upset about poop, which is perfectly natural. To, per, poop is being natural, not being upset about poop. This one coming in from Displaced Gamer says, does the question of what explains God lead to an answer of epistemically infinite regress with an unending chain of explanations of God's existence? I'm not sure who it's for. And I, I would I wouldn't say it does because I would say that the the, the point that it, that I'm trying to raise here is that it can't be a necessary an, an endless research, uh, regress um, that it is a permanent relation to, between what is reason and itself. Um, so it's it, you know even in the the attempting uh, attempting to to sort of regress further that would be the affirmation of itself. So no, it couldn't be. Um, it's not like you, that's why it's begotten, not made. It's why it's necessary, not contingent. Because it cannot be doubted. This one from the Trib One says, "Not a simp, but Matt's mind is perfect." FRFR says, "No cap." Uh, FRFR, no cap. I tried to look up what FRFR. What does that mean? Does that? I think it's for real, for real. Oh, okay. Thank you. But I don't actually have a perfect mind, so I might be wrong about that. This one from Ozzy and Talk says, Matt, is it possible for a perfect mind to defeat you in chess in one move? So chess isn't solved by humans, um, but if it's solvable, I would think that a perfect mind would have already solved it. So if it's possible for chess to be won in a single move, then a perfect mind could absolutely do that. And if it's not possible, then a perfect mind would already know that. You got I it. think that is brilliant, though. I, I really want to just say that. I think that was really well said because essentially that shows that something is bound by the rules in relation to itself. So if it's logical relationship to itself, it's bound by the same rules of logic that everything else is. Well, that's not a rule of logic that it's bound by. It's just like God. So God can't make a married bachelor, but that's because of the definitions of there. And so it, it's contingent on whether or not chess is in fact winnable. Nobody's asserting, no modern theologians asserting that God can do what is logically impossible. I think that I would say that you're arguing that God can do something logically impossible by engaging what? in a kind of not knowing itself without actually engaging in a possibility of knowing itself. You're saying, yeah, that, so you're saying that me saying that God can know itself and, mm -hmm. and has always known itself and doesn't require time to do it. I never said time. I said the process of knowing itself. Time is a process. Hey, no, you, no, are, you, you are arguing. Is time is the process is dependent upon time. You have argued for process. a God that knows itself as perfection, that can't learn anything, but it can take a moment of doubt and express that moment of doubt within space time, and that this isn't a problem. No, you said, I said that it can't learn anything new. It can constantly know itself, learn itself. That's what it is doing. That, that's, it's not, that's, if it, not if it says, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? That is something within space-time, an expression that took some duration, that expressed of doubt, which you described as a moment of doubt. That can't happen as the product of a perfect mind. I fervently disagree, but you already know why, hopefully. We must move forward. This one coming in from, do appreciate it. It's Pazazu says, you already gave up the ghost when you admitted the hypostasis 
is a contradiction. I think that's must be for you perspective. Sorry, uh, could you repeat that there? They say you already gave up the ghost when you admitted the hypostasis is a contradiction. I think maybe they mean hypostatic, like hypostatic union, but I'm not sure. Yeah, um, uh, I, I don't really think that I, I have gave up the ghost um, because it, it, the union isn't something that it, it is the process of like it is the the logical relationship united. It's not like the the whole point, and this is what I would say. The whole point is to say that if you look at the way logic works, um, or like you know, if we put this in syllogism and you put it universality, particularity, individuality, the individuality is separate and distinct from particularity and and universality, but it is what allows for particularity and universality to exist, just as they also allow it to exist. So it's not like the, it, it is the means of their relation. It is why you would say from the Father and the Son comes the Spirit, if that makes sense. You got it. This one coming in from, do appreciate it. Displaced Gamer says, how does a timeless entity interact with time as a timeless entity can't have changes in states, which would include mental states, right? Yeah, that's a really interesting point. Now, Thomas Aquinas does address this in Summa Theologica and actually addresses most of this in Summa Theologica. Um, essentially, God would experience everything simultaneously as himself. So God actually only ever wills himself. He only ever knows himself, which is the willing of himself, which is the production of all of this. So it, it is this that produces, uh, it is this act of actualization, self-actualization, or being actual as the thinking thing, which is this uh, this uh, reality. So, so yeah, it's not something that necessarily uh, is uh, sort of stuck in, uh, in or outside of space-time. It contains space-time within itself, because it creates space-time. You got it. Emery King says, Perspective philosophy, does your argument also prove other gods, though? <laughs> no, it doesn't, actually. Like, if we look at uh, the, the argument I make, you could say that it, it, it sort of has many similarities between, for example, I think my argument can be used to show aspects of Hinduism, which I think, uh, you know, have a lot of truth in them. I think that there is uh, parts of my argument that can be used to uh, affirm certain aspects of Islam and Judaism, you know, for example, this kind of idea of an abstract, um, single, simple entity, which is often affirmed. Um, but, you know, like, for example, someone like Thor or Zeus or something, no, no, it can't be. You got it. This one coming in from, do appreciate it. Displaced Gamer says, how does a timeless... Did I read this one? Let's see which one include. Got that one. Ozzy and Talk says, time is a logical entailment of doubting. Sorry, could you say that, that one, one again? They said that time is logically entailed by doubting. Well, I, I don't really agree because I think that what we mean by doubt in the first place is this um, is the it, it, the possibility in this case that it could not that the essence could not obtain uh, its existence. It's just the possibility. It's not to say that it's an actuality. The, so it wouldn't be temporal. It's not something that you'd have to say. The, the, unless you were to say that possibility itself necessarily has to be temporal, in which case you're making a point in, of saying that time necessarily exists, like linear time necessarily exists, um, which I, I, don't, I don't really see. So what we're talking about really is just a logical moment of a, an act of this could, uh, this, this is relationship 
to other things or if other things existed could it not be itself and the answer is essentially no you got it this one coming in from kentoven cpa says abstinence makes the church grow fondlers okay that's interesting Let's see. This one from Tamilua says, Christians don't believe Jesus had doubt. Don't they say Jesus was reciting a psalm when he said that? Um, I, I don't really think that it matters. I, I think that you can say that Jesus has doubt. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Um, even if, like, I think that it's probably a little bit cheap to just say that he's reciting a psalm in the sense that I think that the meaning of the psalm is what jesus is affirming anyway like it's not something that you have to go like if you were to say like the answer in many ways the story is an answer to the question of why humans have doubt over god and how to overcome that doubt over god uh but more that more than that it sure is he's affirming his humanity and he's affirming his divinity and he's overcoming it which i would argue in, in the in the case of what we're talking about is this uh is his particularity which is his death uh, and if, if you look into sort of metaphysics of this, the particularity of something is the fact that it is, uh, it, it can change or, or, or diminish or, or go away, which is the fact that it can die. You got it. This one from Displaced Gamer says, God seems to possess contingent properties, such as being the creator of the universe, which depends on the universe's existence, and relational properties like being loving towards humanity. Um, I don't actually think that the um, uh, the, uh, the you know the omni traits are are in any way contingent. Uh, I, I didn't get a chance to address that with Matt, uh, but essentially the omni traits, I would argue, like Thomas Aquinas does, are actually rationally um, contained within what God is and knowledge of what God is. So, for example, his omnipresence would be in his universality. If if he is everything or he is existence, then everything must contain an aspect of God. He must be in everything in order for it to exist. It must partake in God. Uh, in terms of his uh, omniscience, uh, it's the fact that he knows himself. And so if he to know himself, he must know everything which is contained within in himself. Um, in terms of its all loving nature, it's that if he is to uh, be one with himself and to essentially care about himself, which is, I would argue, an, a necessary aspect of being a mind, but we never got onto the metaphysical po point of things, then he will necessarily care about all of existence. So he's all loving. So it's it's not something that is, um, I think, sort of ad hoc on to the to the divine simplicity of God. It is in the universe. It is in the the idea of a perfect substance. Yeah, nothing in that answer addressed the actual question. Um, the actual question was about the notion that God seems contingent because He's the Creator and has a relationship with creation. Um, that. I don't necessarily know that that's uh, correct, but that was what the issue is. And I would say that the thing that makes him more contingent is this notion that Jesus, the human, air quotes, part, existed alongside God as God before anything else, which meant that this was all, uh, well, that that th there's almost a contingent loop. But that's what the issue was, that God a, seems to have contingent properties because he's contingent on creation, which I don't think is actually correct. But that's what the question was. I don't know what you answered. Well, I, I think that's actually a nice way of putting it. It's more of the fact that it, it wouldn't be that God has contingent properties. It would be that God has con it contains contingent truths, which means he's the set of sets. He's not necessarily dependent upon the existence of those specific contingent truths. 
um, but he would have knowledge of them and they would put, partake in him, which is exactly what Thomas Aquinas says. And that's what I've been arguing this whole time. The particular is contained within the universal. The only way we can know the universal is through the particular. We only know contingent truths typically, uh, but he knows all contingent truths, all uh, universal truths, and he knows that in what is called absolute truth. And if you look into the philosophy of Hegel, you'll uh, you'll see what, what what he means by that. And that's at the end of the phenomenology of spirit uh, in what's called absolute knowing. I'll give you full credit. If you've got something you want to say, it doesn't matter what you were asked ever. This one coming in from Thunderstorm says, Opinions on Nikola Tesla Vortex Math 369 theory, and also is God and creation meaning the same thing from a spiritual perspective and math perspective? So two very different questions. Opinions on Nikola Tesla Vertex Math 369 Theory. Uh, I have absolutely no idea. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm a philosopher. Not, not, I'm not really engaged in that. Like, um, Sorry, uh, I can't answer that. Um, I have no opinion. Would be the right, I, I don't gotcha. really know anything about it. And um, I don't know if Matt has anything to add nope. to that. Uh, no, okay, okay. The second uh, question. And, yeah, and then, sorry. Is God and creation meaning the same thing from a spiritual perspective and math perspective? From a spiritual perspective, is God creation? Um, in terms of, it depends on what you mean by creation. He's the creator, you know, like in that sense. Uh, and you'd say that creation is contained within the creator as the act of creation. He's creating himself, right, from the Christian perspective. Um, but no, I, I wouldn't say that I would limit God to creation because when we usually reference creation, what we really mean is the um, actualization of particular possibilities. Um, it's part of God, but does not fully contain, but God exceeds that. It's not fully representative of what God is. You got it. Renan has a question for you, Matt. says, just wanted to ask Matt how he would argue against presuppositionalism. Uh, well, you can go watch the debate that I did with Sai, although I don't necessarily recommend that as a good debate or anything else. Now I would I would go a different route. Um, I, I don't... Presuppositionalists are attempting to solve real problems in gaps of our our understanding, kind of like we touched on at the beginning of this. And I don't see the need to presuppose further than the universe and presuppose further than logic, as in identity, non-contradiction, and excluded middle. I don't see the reason to presuppose further than those um, merely as a pragmatic thing, Occam's razor. And so, whereas um, people who are essentially making like ontological arguments are almost defining God into existence, the presuppositionalists, why are they arguing at all? If it's okay for you just to presuppose God as the explanation for the things that you need an explanation for, then there should be no discussion or debate. Nobody should waste time having any sort of conversation with you other than because the issue then becomes, well, what reason do you have to presuppose? Well, you don't need one. That's why it's a presupposition. If it were a conclusion, if it were a reasonable inference, if it were, uh, you know, the result of a deductive argument that was based on evidence, um, then you wouldn't be presupposing anything. And so presuppositionalism is, in my view, basically an admission that you've got nothing, so you're just going to make something up and pretend that you do. I don't have an explanation for why logic is uh, is inviolate, so I'm going to say that there's a God that guarantees it's not. Well, cool. Uh, I'm going to say that it's, you know, the poop that we didn't want to talk about earlier. I mean, I Ooh. agree, actually, to be honest. I, didn't know as well. I, I knew I knew you did, actually. That, that much I knew from what you said earlier tonight. 
this one coming in from first super chat ever appreciate it al Grimor says is it possible for god to have not known itself um to have not known um like i mean like god in theory could create itself um and not necessarily so it could create something separate but was contained in itself which didn't know like me i like i'm a part of god and i i could not know of my own existence in this in the in a uh theistic way i could only know it in a very thin sort of no other things and no things in myself kind of way um so in that way yes in terms of could god not know himself um really uh like in terms of what he substantially is and be god um no not really like uh that 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 is the i think the whole the whole the whole point like he he affirms himself he is this constant affirmation of himself just just for clarity did you just say god could create himself no god is constantly well that's i'm using the wrong word really i shouldn't say create okay i just saw it come up in the transcription and i was like wait yeah it sounds like i'm saying create from like you know create from what you know no no he's begotten not made like so i'm not really saying he's creating himself i'm in the sense that it's like a temporal act but he's is willing himself or, or that he is his own will which is himself um which you can see a probably more concise explanation of that in again to, uh, thomas aquinas's summa, summa theologica you got it also forgot to say thank you i have forgotten this for like 30 let's see Corey clark Oliver Catwell, Scott Mitchell, thank you guys so much for your support as amazing channel members. Appreciate that. And Displaced Gamer says, if God is spaceless, God exists outside of space, but the concept of a spaceless God seems to be in tension with the concept of a God who interacts with the world and is present in specific locations. Um, I mean, no, because you could say that God can 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 be in space and outside of space simultaneously it's kind of like uh, like an i kind of evoke like a kind of like a, a weird way of looking at, at at uh sort of higher dimensions if you were to enter a, a higher dimension it, it could be perceived that you're in two places at the same time right like you you would actually be united in in, in yourself but the i mean that's that's begging a lot of, i'm not i'm not a physicist by the way so if i make any phys- uh, mistakes in physics just let us off um but it's 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 kind of like that, but not really. In God in his internality contains space-time. He can exist within that space-time and necessarily does, but is not limited to that space-time, if that makes sense. And this is why in terms with Matt, uh, when we talked about the law of the excluded middle and the way that Hegel talks about it, for example, being and non-being are contraries. But we could see that they are united in what we would describe as becoming, uh, which would be the process of uh, both uh, being, let's say, being one place and not being another. It's becoming into a certain place or it's moving in a kind of motion. And this is how he resolves Zeno's paradox, for example. Um, and, and that relationship in terms in which they can, something can, uh, what is seen as one logical moment can actually fall into another logical moment and can only be understood in that unity of opposites. I, I would say then you, you have the kind of concept of God there as well. Not you. trying to get in on the excluded middle thing, but you, you, I was with you while you were saying uh, being and not being, but then you transcribe that into being in a place versus not being in a place. Um, I, I, I continue to be even if I'm not at my mom's house. Uh, yeah, being, I know that, yeah. 
being and non-being are independent from the location. It's the, the law of excluded middle just says that. So identity is a equals a, and non-contradiction mm -hmm. is that a does not equal not a. And the law of excluded middle is that everything is either a or not a. Um, the fact that God may be able to be in two places simultaneously is not a violation of the law of excluded middle because that's a, a the, the law of excluded middle doesn't say anything about what God can do or what anything else can do. Matter of fact, the, the foundation of, of logic, identity, non-contradiction, excluded middle, specifically are 100% content agnostic, which is why I use the Venn diagram of a single circle um, with an A in it and not A is outside. Uh, everything that is in the circle is in the circle. Everything is not in the circle is not in the circle. And everything everywhere is either not in the circle or in the circle or not in the circle. So I just, when you switched being and not being to being here and not being here, I think that was a mistake. Um, no, it's not a mistake. So like it, it would be if I was to affirm, like obviously that we're talking about the existence of um, like something's existence or non-existence in a way that is um, only, it, it's more about, we would understand something in relation to a um, combination of being and not being. So, for example, if I was to say that, uh, if I was to say that, like, I don't know, like Hegel gives the example of a bright white room or a pitch black room. A bright white room is uh, you can't see anything. A pitch black room, you can't see anything. But a combination of essentially light and darkness in this respect, you know, essentially being and not being, um, gives the indication of what we can understand. Um, and the combination of those two is what is understandable. Uh, and that unity is the unity of opposites. And you'll find stuff on the unity of opposites in, in Plato. It is the actual logical unity of something being A or B in the first place, which yeah. you would... I'm sorry. No, it's fine. It's fine. A bright white room is not a pitch black room. doesn't matter whether or not you're blinded in both of them. Uh, it, <laughs> you are, in fact, blinded in both of them or not blinded in both of them. But a bright white room is not a pitch black room. Yes, I understand what you're saying, and 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 this is where, um, like Hegel would affirm that, for example, uh, a, a contradiction would exist in our mind but not in nature. All along, it's it's been the same thing, you know. And this is the Christian point. It's all along, it's been the same thing. We could affirm it as a single thing, God, um, but in each aspect of itself. If I was to describe it as in one way, another way, and another way, it, it appears as if they are separate because I am applying three different modes of judgment. Yes, but that's about the content, and the law of excluded middle is content agnostic. That's well, what no, I'm saying. I mean, it depends on my content agnostic. All, I mean, all three, identity, non-contradiction, excluded middle, all three of them are content agnostic. They are descriptive. What you mean. They are, I'm telling you, they are descriptive of that single Venn diagram with a circle. They don't care what the content is. They apply universally. This is how you get to the universality of it. A, well, a, it, a bright it, white room, whatever a bright white room is, even if this phone is a bright white room, Whatever it is, that's what it is. And it's not not a bright white room. And everything is either a bright white room or not a bright white room, period. We I think we're just going to we'll we have... talk about this another time, if you like. This one coming in from, do appreciate it. Yay, D-E-N. Oh, by the way, folks, we put a poll in the live chat right now. We want to know where Modern Day Debate can expand. Where would you like to see it expand? We asked if you use Discord. So we do have a Modern Day Debate Discord, but it's something that we're like, hey, maybe we should put more time into developing this. Although, like I said, Shane, or I should say, Shane's been done doing a fantastic job along with Hannah and others 
and making our Discord awesome already. That's in the description box. We're going to have a Discord hangout after this show. I'll be there personally to get to meet you. So we appreciate you guys all being with us. We have a couple more questions we're going to try to move through. But let us know if you use Discord or not. We always like learning about where you want to see modern day debate. This one coming in from Yadian says, if God is outside of time, and how humans interact changes significantly with their society's longevity, education level, and communication style. Why does God seem like a snapshot of past beliefs? Is, is that like a, a serious question, or like um, I think it is? Like, because I'm, I'm I don't know I don't know necessarily what you mean like a snapshot of past beliefs. Like, I don't I don't necessarily know what they're trying to get at. And, uh, do they mean like as in like it's a dated belief or do they mean that that reason is historical? Is it like that that kind of because if, if they're saying like if, I, if I've understood this correctly and you're saying that it's conti- like human knowledge of God is dependent upon, uh, let's say, a chain of human reasoning. But yeah, that's our knowledge of God. That's not the existence of God. Um, and that's just sort of a, a human epistemological issue. Uh, if you're saying that we only used to believe in God, now we've gone past that. And if God exists, then why don't we all believe in God? Well, I, I don't think that's actually an argument. You know, we could be wrong. Uh, and even in order to understand God, you could argue that it is necessary that we have this moment of doubt, we could say. You got it. This one coming in from, do appreciate it. Displaced Gamer says, Lord Stannis says, perspective, who created the rule that universal forgiveness required a human sacrifice? And if it was your God, how isn't this circular reasoning? Uh, who created the rule that it contained? I, I think that the allegoric, allegory of the atonement is really important. Um, the whole point, I think, of the atonement in general is to express that that God is united with the particularity of existence, the conting- contingency of existence, um, and that that contingency will be overcome, and that it is overcome. It's the, the, the truth within the moment of the atonement is to say that in terms of a teleological conception of this contingency, this moving through to engage to a, a greater end will actually be achieved. And it is achieved already. And so when this happens, it is that God has already actualized himself perfectly, that he is perfectly actualized, you got if it. that makes sense. Thank you. And folks, want to let you know, we can't take any more questions. We're going to try to read the remaining questions, let let the uh, speakers out of here. This one from Displaced Gamer says, If God is omniscient, God knows all future events with certainty, which implies determinism and negates the possibility of God's own free will, too. Um, I disagree. I mean, I could go into the reasons why uh, uh, predeterminism or predestination, rather, is absolutely compatible with free will. Um, Hegel argues that I think that the issue is that people like to make a separation between uh, ourselves and God and specifically God and himself. If he is willing himself to be the way he is, then he is perfectly self-actualized. The issue that you probably see, see is that you probably think that to be free means to be unlimited, which is usually a mistake that is sort of developed from Protestant nominalistic thinking. Um, but this was never an issue. And the, it's more to do with our limited conception of freedom within today i think it's not really so much free as in not limited but free to be wrong you got it this one coming in from do appreciate it jacob b says perspective 
Would you characterize your position as being pantheism per Hegelian monism in contradiction to classical theism? Um, I would probably say that I'm a panentheist, um, which basically means that if a pantheist is someone that believes God is nature uh, or the universe, uh, a panentheist says that the universe, uh, God contains within himself the universe, but is not limited to the universe. Uh, so I'm a, I would say I'm a panentheist. And I would actually say that uh, Catholics are panentheists. I even actually asked a priest whether he would agree with that. He, he thinks that we are. He said, don't, don't quote us. But he was like, I would agree. Um, and in terms of theism, it's it is really quite similar because there is that logical relation still between God and and reality. He did create reality, but he's separate from it uh, in, in a manner of speaking. You got it. Displaced Gamer says God would be the efficient cause of the universe. For God to be efficient cause, there would be a material cause in parentheses pre-existing matter for God to act upon, which contradicts the concept of God creating the universe ex nihilo. Um, quite the contrary. Uh, Thomas Aquinas deals with this again in Summa Theologica. Um, you probably control F it. Uh, essentially, the um, the argument he gives is that matter itself uh, exists in a certain form. Uh, so for matter to have certain logical relations to be itself or to be possible it has that possible relation which means it's essentially birthed from the idea in the mind of god so matter is actualized by god and so god is not limited to matter um so even if he created matter to create from it's just a part of the process you got it and this question from jaminic 06 says thank you both for an intelligent respectful debate so far <laughs> they say james thank you for hosting thanks so much we appreciate it all credit to the speakers they say, perspective philosophy, please share an argument against excluded middle. And then, Matt, please respond to it. Um, I think we've already kind of covered that, If that's unless you want to go back into it. Essentially, the argument I gave is essentially that the, uh, the law of the excluded middle is that something can either be A or B. But the uh, relationship to this law is to say that, they, that something uh, has the possibility of uh, not containing partialities uh, of of itself uh, or change, and I say that that is essentially what we mean by something contingent. Um, so, like, I guess rather than me maybe butchering the argument, um, check out why Hegel, uh, like, you know, discards the law of the excluded middle. You got it. Law of excluded middle, despite what he just asserted, is not the claim that something can be A or B. There's no B involved, but. It's too much to dig into right today. You got it. With that, I want to say, folks, if you haven't hit that like button already, we appreciate that. We've got about 1,250 people watching, and we're at about 336 likes. We could easily hit 400, so we appreciate your guys' likes. As I really, well, actually, let me get your guys' opinions. You guys are both familiar with YouTube, Matt, and Perspective. Right, I, by the way, are we, are we doing like a quick closing remark or not? If you guys would like, I hadn't built one in, but if you guys would like, we can. I just had a couple sentences to throw out, but sure. Let's do. How about your, uh, would two minutes be okay? I, I probably I could probably do it in twenty five seconds. I don't sure. Know. Let's give you each thirty seconds. I, I'll go ahead and go so that you get the last word. Is Christianity oh, true? Not, okay. I wish I could say no. It's false, but it may be not falsifiable. And claiming to falsify the unfalsifiable would be irrational. I can say that it hasn't been demonstrated to be true, and this coupled with the notion that it includes a god which should see this problem and who could take an obvious action to alleviate the problem and doesn't, and that that, coupled with the similarities to countless other competing religions which are mutually exclusive, is enough to reasonably infer that Christianity is not, in fact, true. 
Jesus, whether he's human, Klingon, or dog, which are all, according to perspective philosophy, possible, he wasn't a perfect mind. He cursed a fig tree for not bearing fruit out of season, doubted the plan, and seemingly hasn't done anything to address any of the problems, including the ones I just stated, over the intervening years. I'm not sure if the truth of Christianity was remotely addressed here, but I still enjoyed it. You got it. Thanks very much. Perspective? Uh, thank you very much, and thank you, Matt. Um, so the argument that I gave was essentially that God is a logos and that the logical relationship between existence and itself implies universality, particularity, and individuality as a single concrete union, which is the absolute. Um, you can find more about that in Hegel, uh, in the end of Hegel's logic, and uh, is genuinely, I think, a really great argument. The point of contention that I think was most concerning for me was the fact that we got hung up on whether God could doubt himself, in which Matt, I believe, tried to argue that God uh, would not have to have the possibility of uh, be, uh, have to engage in kind of a logical inquiry and just sort of spawn knowledge out of nowhere. Um, and overall, I've enjoyed it. I wish that we had have got onto more metaphysical differences that I think really spark the differences in our position. I'm an idealist, and so the separation between our different uh, our different positions, I think, really comes from the fact that I would say reality is necessarily reducible to mind. Uh, but we never really got there, and uh, hopefully we'll, we can talk again another time. You got it. And one last one. Oh, Dion, I, I, folks, no more questions, but Dion, I'll give you 20 seconds if you can perspective. Why do you call God a he? Um, I'm, I'm happy to say that God could be a woman. I think, uh, like, whatever. Like, the, the whole point of uh, giving, let's say, the father, it, there's no reason to say that the father could be is male or female or anything like that because he's only noble. I have a prescription I have to sign for. I'll be back. You got it. Okay. He's only knowable through the Son. Um, we often say the Son is a he because of the existence of Jesus Christ in terms of Scripture. And so he's a he in that respect. I don't see an issue why God couldn't be a she, a they, or, or whatever. Um, you know, and when I say they, I mean an alternative to the two genders that exist. You got it. And with that, what I'm going to do is, folks... We're going to do something special today. One, we're going to have a very short, because I know that about half of you don't use Discord, according to the poll that we put in. By the way, put up another poll to ask if you use Patreon. And I'm like, wow. 76% say nope, never. Only 13% say they log, 14% log in once a month. So we know that only about half, based on the earlier poll, use Discord. So I'm going to do a short post-credits show or a greeting, hello, right after we let the speakers go. And then after that five or so minutes of doing that, I'm going to move into the Discord chat. We encourage you, check out Modern Database Discord in the description box. And then I'll see you in that after show on Discord. So you can actually go to both if you'd like. But I want to say huge thank you to Matt and Perspective. It's been a true pleasure to have you guys today. Thanks. Thank you very much. And uh, thanks again, Matt. The pleasure is all mine. I'm going to let these guys go, folks. I'll be back in about 18 seconds. So stick around.